Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Lounge Podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin here, joined by somebody who is out, somebody who is who has their freedom. It's it's like the Shawshank thing where, yeah, it's just raining on Kyle Goon out in, in, in beautiful freedom, beautiful, blissful freedom. Uh, Kyle, I want to say from, from, like, legitimately, congratulations on, on a great run on this beat. It is a... It is a, a a torturous one. It's an arduous one. Um, beats in general are tough uh, by nature. And then you add to that every bit of Lakers bullshit that they throw at you. And, and yeah, it's, it's quite the experience. So congratulations on an incredible run. Can't <laughs> wait to hear what, what you have planned next. Um, I want to start with uh, like, was it was it an actual weight? Did you feel lighter when you when you when you came to the conclusion I'm out? I can't do this anymore. Um, I, I mean a little. I I think um, one thing, and just so your listeners know, like I you know this was definitely my choice. I definitely um, this was sort of a decision that was considered. It was not spur of the moment. Um, but I it was a little. It's a little weird to watch the Lakers continue to play, um, yeah. and and sort of not be. After being so deeply invested in, are are they going to make the the playoffs? Are they not going to make the playoffs? Are they going to play in? Are they going to be in the top six? It's sort of like okay, now you just let it all go, um, sort of let it drift out to the sea. Uh, but but I'll say the thing that so is Austin Reeves like your Wilson volleyball, just kind of floating away. <laughs> uh, um. No, no, I, it was it's funny. <laughs> Just before this, I was watching the clip where Austin says, uh, what's the similarity between uh, me and Alex Caruso? We're white. We played for the Lakers. What's the similarity between you and the Wilson ball? Well, we're both white. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I, I and potentially floating away in free agency. Who yeah. said that? Um, I, I, I just think the thing I'm grateful for is that I didn't have to go on a plane yesterday, uh, which is – 
I, I don't think people understand how much just logistical nightmares are involved for covering the team. We are not on the team plane. You know, yeah. they, they, they private jet everywhere. They stay at five-star hotels. We're kind of in charge of that for ourselves and trying to figure out, okay, like, what's do I take the 7 a.m. after, you know, our 7.30 game? Um, do I, you know, where am I going to stay? How do I get from place to place? And, you know, trips like Chicago, they take all day, basically. Yeah. I mean, so um, it's just, it's a grind. It's a grind and done it for five years. Didn't travel for one of those years. It was, it was very weird. Met Andre Drummond the other day, as, as you guys saw on Sunday. I was like, Andre, do you realize this is the first time we've met in real life? It's wild. <laughs> and, and I covered him for a whole year. So just things like that happened that were really weird. Um, and then just the normal grind of NBA plus, you know, the the high drama and exposure of the Lakers. It was it's very stressful times. I'm very grateful to have done it for sure. But it's uh there there I'm I uh I'm glad to be making the change I am for sure. Um I, I on on that front you know, in, in the logistics and, and stuff about it. And like, it's it, people, it used to be, you know, for, for a while, at least from my standpoint, for me, I, I cover the team from my office. I, you know, I rely obviously a lot on, on you guys asking questions and stuff and reacting to the reactions to those questions and then kind of breaking down film and doing that stuff. And, and for a while there, you know, there was, I think, a lot more animosity between beat reporters and bloggers because you guys are doing all of that work. You guys, are, you guys do. There's actual logistics involved in that stuff, and there's the the relationship aspect of all of this. And you know, over the course of those five years, I, I, I think we've seen kind of more of a mutual respect be reached between bloggers and and beat reporters. Um, but still you know, how annoying is Harrison? Like, you know, every, every single question that you ask and every quote he's going to throw onto silver screen. Um, it's, it, you know, you're in a free space now. You can just say it. like Harrison's the worst part of your job, right? He has to be. No, I listen. Um, that's such an interesting topic, but I agree with you. I think it was a more interesting topic, like, like five years ago or 10 years ago, um, mm -hmm. where, you know, listen, I, I worked for, a newspaper that was behind a paywall and i think to some extent i i wanted people to respect that i put a bunch of work into the stuff that went behind the paywall yeah. and it's i can't tell you like anything that's more frustrating than like working on a story for several months and then being like hey here's this thing i worked on for a while talked to a bunch of people for who was like i would love to read it but i have to pay ten dollars to read it and, like yeah I, like, where do you well, think this comes from? Like, what do you think we're doing <laughs> out here? Like, I'm, you know, do you think it's free for me to travel to these games and talk to these people? It's truly not. Um, so I under, like, that's kind of, I think, where the animosity can be built. But I think, on the other hand, what you and Harrison and, and uh, you know, Kurt at Pro Basketball Talk and and all, all these other um aggregators and and people who then use what we kind of generate for discussion points i mean i came to los angeles from salt lake city like i didn't know how to connect with the audience i didn't know how to like build an audience for what i was doing necessarily like except just kind of 
produce, produce, write, write, tweet, yeah, whatever. And I think where you guys, I, I, I have come to think of it as an ecosystem where we are the closest to the source of, of um, you know, we, we talk, we're able to talk to the Lakers figures, we're able to ask them questions, and then it kind of filters down. And but then, you know, people like you, people like Harrison, can disseminate what I'm doing. And as long and as long as and you know, Harrison, I've had talks about this. But I've always felt he's very respectful of like when they pull something from my story, which I don't always love. I love things to be in my artful context, but yeah. at the same time, when they pull stuff from my stories, it's like, hey, Kyle Goon from the Orange County Register did this, and so I respected that. And I respected that they understood that on some level that they needed us. Um, and I think it can be a little stuffy to think, well, because we're the reporters that travel and ask the questions, we're the only people with perspective on what's yeah, happening on the team. That's ludicrous, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's just uh, like, you know, the fact is that you've been a Laker fan longer than I've, I've studied the team. And so I always needed that sort of extra dose of perspective and um from from longtime fans and and how viscerally they felt things that i you know was trying to like catch up on through youtube and stat sites and all these things because mm -hmm. i can just never catch up to that level of the, these visceral memories and experiences and emotions that lakers fans have had i mean you know like when pal gasol's jersey gets retired it's me reading a bunch of articles and looking up things on youtube and and, yeah. and a lot of you guys watched every game we played. So yeah. I, I could never catch up to that. And at some level, I needed you guys to kind of digest what was going on um, with the Lakers as well, just on that fan side. That's a, that's that's really interesting. And, and I think a, a pretty healthy outlook on it, you know. And, and like I said, five, six years ago, we're having a very different conversation on this topic. And I think at this point... Um, you know, somebody like Harrison who went through like journalism, I didn't do any of that stuff. I come from PR. Um, but, but, you know, for, for, for to see more kind of bloggers try to dip their foot into journalism and, and start to be more responsible. It used to be, you got a quote and you threw the, the, the loudest headline that you can throw out there. And there are still sites that exist that way. You throw the loudest headline out there that you know is going to go viral, but at this point, so many reporters and so many bloggers have relationships at this point that, yeah, like if I if I tweet something from uh, from a Wiki article, like this just happened a couple months ago, back when I was still at Silver Screen, he would DM me and say, "Hey, can actually we we're tweaking that? Can we pull that tweet down and can we figure out a better way to format that?" No problem whatsoever. That was not that was not a problem whatsoever, and that's kind of the relationship. And I think that's what, how we arrive at this place. Um, you mentioned coming from Salt Lake and and arriving here on this Lakers beat. Was there a was there a moment where you realized, oh, this is this is different. This is yeah. you know whatever I, it was. Was there a first thing that that really kind of blew you away? I can tell you exactly when that was. Uh, I think it was eight games in the first season that I covered, which is 2018, 2019, LeBron had just arrived. And, I, and I'll tell you guys, I mean, I came out of interest of covering LeBron. Like the Lakers mm -hmm. were a very secondary thing to me. Um, I, I just wanted to see what it was like to cover the biggest. It's pretty secondary to most figure. LeBron. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, just as somebody from the East coast, like I, I just said, 
just watched with fascination and I had this idea of like, what would it be like to see somebody with that level of greatness kind of wrestle with um, getting older and, and declining. Um, and, but eight games that season, you may remember, I think it was eight games was the magic Johnson brings Luke Walton into his office and <laughs> yells at him and screams at him and people in the organization <laughs> yeah. leak that to BT because BT is the most plugged in person ever. Yeah. And then I was just like, wow, like, <laughs> I, and I was, I was new and like my predecessor was my competition and, you know, I was really just becoming aware of like BT's relevance to the beat. And, and then you had Tanya, you had Dave, Dave had covered the Lakers before Tanya had been on a couple of years and Bill's bill. And so I'm sort of like, how do I even get at this story? I mean, you know, I'm yeah. so far down the totem pole and I'm still in the process of meeting people. I was like, wow, I just don't even like, I don't have at that point anyone I can call in the organization. Be like, um, did you hear magic Johnson screaming <laughs> through some doors yeah. at anyone? Um, and, <laughs> and that was like a national news story. And I'm just like sitting there you know, like the new guy, Thought, thought like I had covered the NBA a year in in Utah and thought I had a really good handle on it, and, but it was just different. It was just and and it's you know being talked about on first take in ESPN and like and frankly in Utah at that time it was just exciting to get a game on ESPN. It's like oh this yeah. is our big chance. This is our you know we're going to be on ESPN. We're going to be on TNT. Um, and you know they would go on a run that I think changed that a little bit. But it, I mean I just was like. I just remember thinking eight games of the season, we're already at a point where the coach could be fired mid-season. <laughs> yeah. And I got to like start figuring out how to like talk to people about that tension. And it was really hard because then everyone was on eggshells for the rest of the year, including Luke. Um, so it, it, it it's interesting how quickly those things elevate. And then, you know, and then on Lakers, you just have people who have been there forever. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Brad Turner's like truly one of my great friends here. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's the guy with the power to, to call up anybody. And the other, the other thing that really tossed me that first year was, um, the, the, the AD trade request in New Orleans and, you know, BT's got <laughs> sources on both sides and yeah. he's like reporting stuff every, some seem like every hour. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, man, like, that is insane. So I like to think that I I found more of a lane where, you know, I I wasn't as dependent on me being the big newsbreaker, but sort of um, understanding how certain things fit within certain contexts. And, and then every now and then just calling out, I mean, the last time we were talking, I was like calling out the front office for not listening to LeBron. And the very next yeah. day, LeBron says, well, I don't want to lose. And I was like, well, okay, this is, this is somewhat validating. So yeah. I like to think that I found a way to to provide insight that people couldn't otherwise have, um, but it was not going to be the BT way. It was never going to be the BT way. No one can replicate what that man does, I, I promise you. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, he, he it's it's wild to watch and and again, like I've I've never shared a locker room with him, but but people will just say like the way that he works a locker room and and his understanding of the Laker way and and the and and how they communicate and how they want things framed and stuff like that. Not that he does PR or anything like that, but he just there are idiosyncrasies that that come with any kind of a beat, and he has that um, nailed. And and yeah, I did. I am you know on that front. What what would you say was the biggest challenge in covering the Lakers? They're a very insular organization. They you know there are their people who have been around the, the team in covering it for years. Um, you know even you know even beyond Turner. Even look at somebody like Mike Bresnahan, who went and worked at, at Spectrum, and the relationship that the Lakers have with Spectrum, I would imagine, you know, is is kind of something that you have to work with. And you worked with Spectrum, and you and you did Spectrum Spectrum programming. What would you say though was was the toughest thing to to just kind of deal with um, in getting in in finding your lane? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in general, everyone associated with this franchise is extremely image conscious and and they have to be um you know just because they're discussed and dissected at a different level and and you know even talking to darvin earlier this year i was i sort of asked this incidental question that was just like hey what's the biggest adjustment and he's like media <laughs> like dealing with all <laughs> you guys and like he he was on staff for a championship team with a great a two-time mvp so yeah. that just tells you about the difference of just glare. Um, so, you know, there's just been times where I think it's been very clear that the Lakers spent more times than other franchises trying to be like, okay, what's our response? I mean, when Magic resigned, I mean, yeah. no one talked from the organization for like two days. Yeah. Like, they actually, like, next day was like player exit interviews, and Rob didn't talk, Luke didn't talk, like, Genie didn't talk. And then, and no one talked from the front office until they released a statement that Luke would have been fired. Yeah. So it's it it just like, and they 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 have kind of it's become par for the course for them to just go months without talking. Yeah, like finally we're seeing Rob in front of cameras on ESPN broadcast now that he finally traded Russell Westbrook. For a long time, he watched all those games in the tunnel. So, <laughs> but but just to say, I think. I think sometimes the Lakers and, and, you know, I mean, this also applies to LeBron. It applies to clutch. It applies to um, a lot of central figures in this drama uh, of just people being so image conscious and wanting to wait for the right time. And like, frankly, that's not how basketball seasons are. It's just, I think, I think a lot of people at the Lakers had this hope at, at certain moments that, it's like you know what we'll talk when it's the right time and the right time was always going to be when we have some validation and wins under our belt and we have success and and we're going to you know i mean it was much easier to talk uh in that in that title year than everything that followed it and yeah. 
and people were very reticent to kind of put their face on people in this organization are, in general are very reticent to put their face on losing um and that includes lebron um and that includes um the leadership of, of this franchise um you know i think one of the reasons why you see this organization churn through coaches is because the coaches are the people who face the media every day the coaches are people who really have to when the organization isn't living up to it they have to own how they're falling short um and i certainly think that happened to frank vogel um yeah where people are talking about oh like why is frank doing this rotation well like there's just not a lot of good players what's the like, rotation he could have <laughs> gone with last year <laughs> <laughs> that was the consensus and i think to some extent that happened with darvin earlier this year which yeah. you know I, I i think i made it pretty clear in the analysis pieces I did, I thought it was absolutely crazy to go in for a second year of Russ. Um, they knew it wasn't going to work. And mm -hmm. to be frank, we're still in the evaluation period of that decision um, where basically if, if for some reason, I mean, I think they will make the play in, but if for some reason they, they don't make the play in or for some reason they're in that nine, 10 game and lose, you know, the nine, 10 game, like they pitched this season away so they could save a first round pick. And once yeah. you put it in those terms, does that sound so good? I don't know. Like I, right. if I were a fan, I think I'd be pretty upset with that framing of it. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, we, Harrison and I talked about it yesterday on the show where, uh, again, I don't know. And we have zero reporting on whether the package that they eventually got back for Russell Westbrook would have been available in any way at the beginning of the season or heading into the off season or whatever. Um, but hypothetically speaking, there is, you know, they, they, they always, Rob Polinka has spoken a lot about opportunity costs and how once they trade the one pick, they can't trade it again and, and how uh, that impacted his decisions. But that also swings the other way where not trading both of those picks did put them in this spot where every single game that they play right now, you know, they're watching standings, they're watching results from around the league and, and they're doing all of these things. And, you know, if they if they do a version of this trade or this trade earlier, but it costs both of those picks and they're not in this position, is that worth the first round pick? I, I right. you know, I, I I lean towards saying yes. I lean towards saying yeah. I I would have done something a little bit earlier so that they could avoid this kind of scenario where anything can happen in a one game sample size if you get into the play in, and um and yeah, but but like you're kind of saying. I do think that kind of paralysis by analysis because nobody wanted to put their face on failure if they did make that trade really kind of lent itself to this kind of predicament. Did you get that sense at all? Or Yeah, of course I did. I mean, of course I did. And I'll tell you and the listeners that like I, based on my conversations that I've had, I believe that they could have, and, and whether you think this is good or not, like is, a, is on you, but that I believe they could have had Jared Malik and Mike Conley for two picks. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, figure out whatever the salaries would have been. Um, but it's just like, if, if you guys like Malik and I know Malik has kind of been, been slumping a little bit, quite the roller coaster. like, like Jared. And if you think Mike Conley is a competent point guard, which he has been in Minnesota, by the way, he's mm -hmm. helped them a lot. Yeah. then like maybe the Lakers aren't 13th at the trade deadline. I mean, they were 13th. Yeah. They were 13th like all year long, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and until the trade deadline and suddenly 
you put, I mean, I don't think D'Lo is an all-star still. I think he's a very good point guard with a high upside, but in, in certain games, but I don't think he's a third star. Mm-mm. So, and, but, and yet having those guys and having D'Lo just like half the games has made this team so much more functional. Like, yeah, I, I don't think you can argue with that. It's just, so yeah, I just kind of, I had the thought that like, it was a little bit of a kamikaze mission of, of just waiting to see like if they could rehab Russ's value. And eventually they did make a deal. And, you know, I think you do have to give Rob credit for finding a deal. And I think they, they like Delo's uh, timeline more than they like Mike Conley's timeline. Cause Mike is, you know, toward the end of his career. Yeah. But was that time worth it? I mean, that's what you ultimately have to ask. It, it It's not just, like, is the roster better? Well, of course the roster's better because the roster was bad at the start of the year. <laughs> yeah. So, like, of course the roster's better, but is it in time for that to mean anything? And is it in time to help LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two stars who just kind of, like, they're at the point in their careers where one guy is, one of those guys isn't going to carry you. They have to be like this. They have to be on mm-hmm. the court together. And once they're on the court together around a, a decent cast, then they're good. Like, and to me, that's just like the whole game. Right. And so, you know, then you can ask, well, like AD being played late in fourth quarters, all fourth quarters, did that influence his injury? LeBron playing without AD, did that influence his injury? I mean, I don't know, but I think those are points of second guessing that you can ask. But I think the front office just didn't want to, to make a deal that made the team very middle of the road and then get killed on the second on the back end for mm-hmm. the trade all over again when they really should have probably just course corrected right away when yeah. they realized it was all happening. Um, covering the the Russ experience, uh, you know, I, it really felt to me last season was kind of the worst case scenario for everybody. I thought Frank Vogel didn't handle it particularly well. I thought LeBron was his most passive aggressive when I thought that he needed to be more of kind of an active leader. And then, uh, obviously, the, the the roster, the front office that the the roster put together was about as bad as 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 they could have uh, assembled. Um, and yet, like as all that was going on, you kind of saw faction break off from faction, and everybody just kind of like separate from themselves. Did you ever feel yourself pulled in any sort of direction there? In 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 you know, how do you remain objective or do you even try to remain objective or do you just kind of call it like you see it and say, look, all of this, all of what's wrong with this kind of harkens back to the trade itself. And whether that's a rust thing, whether that's a, a Palenka thing, whether it's a clutch and, uh, you know, LeBron AD thing who, as they pushed for Russ, like, did you ever feel like you had to you know, kind of straddled it all, or or did you feel like covering that it, it, there was kind of a natural lane of analysis that you found yourself kind of swaying into? Oh yeah, no, I, I think I think it was my lane was just what we talked about, just like like is anyone gonna take take the blame for this? Like yeah. and and so and like around the trade deadline, it was kind of ridiculous, and I, and I did write that actually, like right after right around All Star break, I wrote something that's like. LeBron is kind of being ridiculous with his 
comments about Les Snead and you know whenever there was like a thing about <laughs> yeah. like Ronnie could it like could I go back to Cleveland uh, I don't know I mean it's not about money <laughs> and how dare you Kyle he said then, afterward that he never meant any of that stuff in that way <laughs> and it was very clear on the on the other side the Lakers were leaking stuff about you know LeBron's approval of the trade which is true but I've I've also gotten information that like Rob Polinka was psyched about that trade like mm-hmm. Rob Polinka, it's like he's like, yeah, I'll put my money on a Hall of Famer, and, yeah. and like told people that, and and so like everybody was psyched about the trade, so everyone should own it. So yeah. I so I didn't actually find myself leaning into a faction. I was just like, this is ludicrous. You guys <laughs> all like, and I didn't. I was skeptical. I just at the time I was just like, well, I feel like LeBron knows more than me about basketball, so maybe it can work in some way that I don't see. But turns out it didn't work in the way yeah. that everyone thought it wasn't going to work. And so yeah. I was just like, this is kind of ridiculous. I mean, they're losing games. Like, they're they're furiously trying to blame each other. The team is just tanking. Russ yeah. feels abandoned on every side. And um, on that respect, like, I I can sympathize a little bit with with some human empathy. But he yeah. also wasn't playing well. And, right. and and he didn't want to take he didn't want to own that so it's like <laughs> every everyone is just furiously trying to like wash their hands of the situation that is actively happening that is actively tanking the season and Frank is seasons like, plural like there was yeah. it was two seasons that it that it really affected I mean Frank was like being trot out like like is being waterboarded every time he had to explain what was going on it's just, <laughs> I, like I I don't know it's just it's just that is a situation where like you just have to understand like people have eyeballs like you can't like can't put lipstick on a pig like it's bad yeah. and you just kind of have to say this is bad and then but then knowing some of the parties and and hearing what certain people are saying just be able to kind of paint the situation of like this is why this is crumbling because lebron wanted the front office to like correct it's like and his attitude is like yeah like I, I'm not. I'm not literally saying LeBron told me this. By the yeah. way, it's just, mm-hmm. but like in a paraphrasing way, like yeah, like we made a mistake, but like go fix it. Like right. that's your guys' job. We're trying to win, and they're right. like, you made your bed. Now, now lie in it. Right. And I think while they're holding a corner of the sheet still like (laughs) you made your bed. Oh, hold on. Let me drop this blanket. But like also like if you if you're the Lakers and the one thing you care about is winning like then like why wouldn't you have traded Russ at the trade deadline last year? It was just it was so clearly just not going to work. And they but they just didn't want to eat the capital and they just didn't want to declare failure that early, even though it had failed. It was failing. It had failed. And then they're they're just afraid of getting hit more than one time for that deal, um, yeah. and how how epically that failed. So finally, they get a trade done this trade deadline when they can kind of recoup and and Rob can get his kudos. But I mean, maybe it's just too late. Uh, that's what I've been wondering since the trade deadline happened, and there were people who are like giving it grades like A, A minus, B plus. I'm like, what's the grade matter? If they don't make the playoffs, they got to make the playoffs. Right. Like, otherwise, it was all for naught. Otherwise, exactly what I said at the start of this is like, you traded this season so you could keep a first round pick. When you're the Lakers, when you're 
a team that you walk out the door and gold falls from the sky into your lap. People want to come to you. People want to yeah. be traded to LA. Like something is going to happen that's good for you. Like that's kind of been my take on the draft equity. I understand where the league is and that you have to have stuff in your coffers to make big trades happen. But like this is a, a franchise that's been blessed by God since you know Jerry Buss took over. And LeBron showed up after the worst stretch in the in the organization's history. Like he just, you know, he just decided, yeah, I'm gonna be a Laker after they were in the middle of a tanking uh, stretch that went for seven years. So yeah. 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 Your your market is not the same as other teams. That's my only point. Um, moving forward though, you know, obviously the, the, the job without getting into too much detail here is, is not going to entail the Lakers. Um, it really is. It, if you had to look ahead, if, if you had to predict based off of the last five years of covering this team and you had to look ahead to the next five, 10, 15 years, what would you say your, your, uh, your, your confidence level is in this organization? Do you think they've learned from, what the last couple of years have been. Do you think they've, do you think they've taken enough? Like one thing that I always found really fascinating in talking to friends who covered the Cavs was, you know, that second time LeBron got there, there was, he, he really focused on trying to teach everybody there top down um, stuff that he learned from Miami. And, you know, I, I think it, obviously we've seen what the Cavs have become in his absence. They are one of the steadier organizations out there right now and have one of the brighter futures and and yet because of that that breaking off that factioning the the you know resistance to blame i do think one concern could potentially be that as lebron has tried to again impart some of his will in the same way he did the second time in cleveland that maybe people aren't necessarily listening the way that they maybe should be or maybe they feel like they need they know more as is because of the experience that they have with the Lakers. Do you think all of this kind of headbutting um, can be overcome in a way that allows them to learn from the last couple seasons and kind of move forward in a productive way for the immediate future? Well, uh, for one thing, I don't think LeBron's relationship with the Lakers is quite akin to his relationship with Cleveland, and I don't. Oh yeah, I don't think he came in trying to tell people what to do and i think that's partly because of the lakers history part i mean you know when he came in it's like working for magic and in, in that yeah. sense i think you're not going to tell it's him like yeah it so, so i mean that first year i mean lebron didn't come with anybody even though people speculate oh he's coming with pg or he's coming with whoever who's he going to come in with mm -hmm. um and and was sort of a more deferential and that's kind of guided everything that's happened since like obviously you know that second year there were a lot of changes and i'm sure there was more hands-on discussions on what would happen but i don't think lebron has tried to change the nature of the organization i think but i do think for the next five to ten years this organization is going to have to think about change and um you know i, I don't want to get too granular but i think the way the business is run it, it has come under scrutiny um and people have this awareness that a lot of the lakers um organization is is smaller than a lot of yeah, other NBA organizations mm -hmm. and i think there you kind of from genie on down there's this um sort of 
thought that, well, like we know how the way to do it. Like we have our 17 championships, we're a championship organization, but that's not just self-sustaining. You kind of have to grow. You kind of have to prune. You have to figure out, um, you know, what do modern NBA teams do that we don't? And I think, I, I truly just don't think that soul searching has arrived. Mm. Um, and that would be my biggest question for the next five to 10 years. I mean, I think players are always going to want to come to the Lakers. I think the brand to players has an, an enduring appeal um, that, that guys just want to be Lakers. But mm. um, I think organizationally, and that's not just on basketball ops. I think that's also on business ops. Um you know, just more like less turnover in the organization and a, a growth mindset of, okay, we have our base brand, but like, what are we doing to take care of it and restore the shine of it? I think it's mm-hmm. going to be the biggest thing. And and from there, everything flows. If, if players see your organization beefing up and, and taking certain things seriously, then they're, they're going to respect you and that's going to get around. Yeah, it's it's in essence they'll always have access to those stars, but will they have the organizational capacity to maximize those stars, right? We've seen that they 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 kind of they they figured it out in a way that led to a championship before, but they also sprinted in the opposite direction of the identity that won them that championship, and I think that kind of speaks to what you're talking about with that organizational awareness. Of, of really understanding what made that team special. How can we replicate that? How can we build onto that? And, and yeah, I think that's, that's a, an altogether very fair reading of, of them moving forward. Um, all right. Last thing before we get you out of here, uh, you are, you are now free of, of the, the, you know, the, the, the day in day out, um, relationship building of this, um, what would what would you say was you know who was the 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 biggest care i know you know you had your relationship with uh andre drummond and that was always really fun to watch uh wh- which character do you think you'll look back on and say like that was that was the best part of the last five years or so um <laughs> or worst part well, you actually, could even you know I'll, I'll get on a little bit of a soapbox uh here and say um i mentioned this in my last thing but I just don't think Lakers fans understand AD um, mm. in this in this deep way, and like I I mean AD is like truly like one of my favorite guys to have covered, um, mm. and I don't I don't really mind saying that. I mean I think you know it's just natural that some guys you have rapport with, and, and some yeah. guys maybe you look for that a little more, um, but um, I think once he kind of warmed up to LA, you know, he wanted to chop up about sports. He loved talking about the Packers. He, he's just like a really, there's a lot of happy go lucky elements to him. Yeah. And I think with how people just really struggle to frame guys with that much talent. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and people see his talent and they're sort of like, well, why aren't you, x player in my head every time and you know i think that is something of a shortcoming for him um that you know when he is aggressive like clearly the lakers are better and clearly he's much better and sometimes he's searching for that Uh, um but i just think he's just like a really 
um, just just of the guys I covered in the Lakers, like just a guy that you could actually talk to and you felt like very human interactions happening. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one story that I think is great um, mm-hmm. and that uh, Dan Wojcik will tell ad nauseum. But, um, <laughs> you know, earlier this year, you know, that, the Packers, Packers, AD loves talking about the Packers come in yeah. the, the locker room and he's already talking shit about, you know, some <laughs> win that they had. But they started out terrible last year, right? And Aaron Rodgers is, I don't know what he was doing. He was doing ayahuasca in the summer. Ayahuasca, mostly, yeah. And so, like, every week we come in and we're roasting AD. Packers started out two and seven or whatever. And then we go to Milwaukee, and then Aaron Rodgers is sitting courtside. And, Mm -hmm. of course, they have a great game. AD has a great game. scores 40 points. They beat Giannis. And it's just a big deal. Um, Feels like a season turnaround point. And... We go, we go back and we're waiting for AD to come in and, and somebody from PR says, oh, he's, he's back there talking to Aaron Rodgers in the hall. So all the reporters mm-hmm. like scrambling over the table to get <laughs> out there with their cameras and we yeah. do, we're like pointing it and AD is standing over in the hallway and he's like, he's standing next to Aaron. He's like, see these dudes? Every week they come in the locker room, talk shit about you. <laughs> Say the Packers are trashed, <laughs> and, and like and just like talk shit. And Aaron Rodgers has famously thick Rodgers. skin, like. <laughs> and then, and then as we're going in the room to talk to him about his forty-point game, he's like, "I'm so glad y'all came out to the hallway. I'm so glad." <laughs> he's looking. He wanted that to happen just so he could yeah. roast the reporters in front of Aaron Rodgers. And uh, but I mean, he's just he's like. He's a really likable guy, and I think he gets caught between this like need to be like I'm. I have a persona. I have this like dominant persona. I mm-hmm. I'm like a be. I gotta be a beast out in the court, and who he is, which is sort of naturally like, kind of goofball, kind of yeah, kind of fun loving, and and like, and so I really got frustrated around the time of the record when everyone was asking what's with AD and LeBron. AD had such bad body language with when LeBron broke the record. Yeah. Like, I know this that's my bad. Like, like, no, no, <laughs> but like truly like, and, and that's where like, and I think it's great to end here. Cause I, I want to impart to people like we do know these guys. I mean, on some level, some guys are more distant. Some guys are more guarded. Some guys won't let you in, but we, we know these guys on some level. And I just wish I could have found a way to say, I think Dave did a good story about that situation, but like, I wish I could have found a way to say like, I know that that is not what is happening. Like, yeah. please just trust me because I'm around <laughs> these guys all the time. And like a- AD is not like, there's not animosity there. Like AD came to LA to play with somebody of LeBron's stature. Yeah. And like, frankly, it gives him a little cover as like one B to LeBron's one A. And I think yeah. that the transition there is difficult for him. And I think he's really starting to, to reckon with that and grapple with that and try to push there. But it's like I I just wanted to like reach out across my screen and and I thought I addressed it one time and then people twisted it and, and I was just mm-hmm. like man I can't tell people what they want to believe that like oh LeBron and AD are on the outs so maybe AD is gonna ask for a trade or maybe like they need to break up at this they don't want to break up they they love being teammates they love yeah. it 
Mm-hmm. And and I wish I could explain to people how beat reporters have developed those relationships to kind of see certain insights that not everyone can see. Yeah, I, it's tough because I think with how frustrating the last couple of years have been, people want a resolution there as as illogical as, as that resolution might be, just so long as it's a resolution, so long as it's some version of progress, even if that progress d- might be a step back, you might, it might be the opposite of that. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think it's really difficult for, for, uh, sports fans, especially in the era of fantasy sports and in the era of, of, of video games and stuff where, uh, you know, you see somebody with AD's talent level and you see them as the talent, you don't necessarily see them as the human being. And I thought, yeah, that, that Dave piece where he starts by talking about the rainbow that his daughter drew for him was kind of a perfect encapsulation of AD because he sees the reading of it, but then he's also like, she might just like drawing fucking rainbows. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, he's just, he is a very fascinating guy and, and, and watching you cover him was, was really fun to watch again, Kyle, congratulations on, on a great run. Best of luck here moving forward. I can't wait to see uh, what it is that you do, where you do it. I'm, I'm going to be sitting here and I'm, I can't wait to continue to support your work moving forward as everybody should. Thanks, Anthony. I really appreciate it. I had a, I had a great time, even though sometimes I wanted to pull my hair out, mostly in the bubble. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I, it, we didn't even talk about run. the bubble. I'm just going to start. Okay. A, we're we're going to start like a weekly or not a weekly, but I'm going to pre- keep bringing you back on to talk about the weirdest things of of your time because I don't think it's possible to summarize five of the weirdest years in late. Like, listen to that phrase: five of the weirdest years in Lakers history. Is supposed to be summed up in 40 minutes. That's just, in, it's insane. Um, and you were there with a front row seat to all of it. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous, but also kind of not really. I think, I think, I, I don't know how I would have handled that from a, from people, from a people think standpoint. it's a very cool job. And it is a very, I mean, that's why I do it because yeah. you get to be the front seat for these like big historical moments, but it is a labor. And yeah. whoever has my job next will learn that. I apologize in advance. Um, but it, <laughs> it is a labor and it's a lot of work and uh but you know it's that's the trade that's the trade all right best of luck kyle thank you very much <laughs>